Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. I hope you're all well. So there are certain special people in this world who will do whatever it takes to stand up for what's right and will give it their all to fight for others. I am so very excited for you to hear today's episode where I talk with one of those people, Gloria Allred. She is one of the top women's rights attorneys in the country, and this year she'll be inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. She has been fighting for victims for more than 42 years, and I am so honored that she took the time to come on the podcast. I'm attorney Gloria Allred, fighting for equal rights for women and for minorities. I'm sorry, not sorry. Joining us now, civil rights attorney. Please welcome Gloria Allred. She talked about sexual harassment, race, women's rights, when nobody wanted to talk about it. He thinks no more women will come forward. He is very wrong. Women are shedding their fear. They are refusing to be silenced about the injustices that have been inflicted on them. This is a very important day. Judgment Day has come. Mr. Cosby has shown no remorse. And they are standing up. They are speaking out. They are reaching out, wanting to know, what are my legal rights? Can I do something? What can I do? We will be filing against the estate of Jeffrey Epstein and potentially against others who may have been involved in conspiring to sexually exploit these vulnerable child victims. If you are a victim of uh, Mr. Epstein, I will say today again, it is not too late to seek justice. And I'm informing them of the benefits and the risks of the many choices that they have. And I'm just very proud of their courage. Talk to me about sort of the bigger question of what it means to be a feminist. A feminist is simply a person who believes in legal, social, political, and economic equality for women with men. I think the reason you do demean them all the time is because really, secretly, you envy women and you fear them. So all of us should be feminists because for me, the opposite of a feminist is a bigot. So you have been fighting for women's rights and civil rights for... 43 years. 43 years, four decades. Exactly. And we are the uh, leading private women's rights law firm in the United States and have been for 43 years. How has that work changed or has it changed? I think that women are more empowered now. I mean, we still have a long way to go. They're less willing to suffer in silence. Mm. Uh, It is the age of the empowerment of women. It is the reckoning. And so more women who have been victimized are reaching out. They're wanting to know what their legal options are. And we inform them of the benefits and risks of each option that is available. 
which is very wise of women who are victims or men who are victims to reach out and find out in advance Mm. what the benefits and risks of each option are because some people don't do that. They just, for example, want to break the silence. Maybe they go on the internet, then they make accusations against a celebrity of criminal conduct such as rape, drugging and rape, sexual assault. Then they find themselves on the wrong end of a lawsuit where they're being sued by the celebrity because the celebrity is alleging they defamed them. And then that means that the victim who suddenly spoke out and didn't realize that they could be sued for defamation has to hire a lawyer to defend them, which can be costly thousands and thousands of dollars to defend against a defamation case. And then they just have major problems because there's a power imbalance. And uh, even if they're successful in the end, it could cost them maybe $100,000 or more, which they don't have to defend against the case. So what we like to do is we don't tell people to go public or not public. We Mm. explain the benefits and risks of each option, which could include speaking out publicly or not speaking out publicly. It could be a confidential settlement. It could be uh, a lawsuit. And so then the person who alleges she's a victim is in a position to make an informed decision about which option, if any, she wishes to exercise and what, you know, whether she's willing to take a risk or not and whether the benefit outweighs the risk. So these are decisions that need to be made. That's what we do. And then we help, we support pe- individuals in the choice of their option if we are able to do so. When I think about empowerment, that's exactly what mm-hmm. it is, right? Mm-hmm. Is is a woman making that initial step to hold someone accountable and what that feels like inside their own being, I would think is almost half the battle because that first step is hard. Most of, I mean, most of the women and and men, most of the survivors that I speak to, so much of it is so suppressed until you can't suppress it anymore, right? It's like the, the only way out is in and then what's that move? What is that move of empowerment? I think picking up that phone call or writing that email to you, to your mm-hmm. law firm mm-hmm. about what are my options, it's just got to be totally liberating. It is liberating. And may I say that we engage in creative lawyering. Mm. What does that mean? And so what that means is sometimes the law, often the law, has not caught up with the reality of women's lives. I'll give you an example, statute of limitations, that arbitrary time period set by law during which a woman must make a claim or complaint, and if she doesn't, she may be forever barred from making it from a legal point of view. It's different in every state, different for adult survivors of adult abuse as opposed to adult survivors of child sexual abuse. Right different depending on what the crime is or the civil wrong is. But in any event, we've been able to often uh, get a confidential settlement for individuals for whom it's too late as a matter of law. The statute of limitations has expired. But through creative lawyering, uh, we are often able to engage the wrongdoer the perpetrator of the rape, 
for example. And we always indicate that it's never too late to do the right thing. And so perhaps they would like to engage in a settlement process, which makes them accountable to the victim. And so she can then have a sufficient amount to pay her medical bills, her therapy bills, you know, her lost wages, her other economic losses, and, you know, some uh, compensation for her pain and suffering. That helps to empower her to know that she did make him accountable. And he also then knows that he has done the right thing um, and they can both go on with their lives. Mm. So it's not right for everybody. For some people it is. But so I'm saying is this is very important. A lot of people don't know. Sometimes legislatures say, oh, that's a terrible thing. They want everything to be public because the press wants everything to be public. But my job as a, as a private lawyer is to support my client, to be an advocate for what my client wants, to ha- help her to fulfill her goals if that's possible. And often there are many, many people who do want privacy. They don't want their moms to know or their sisters or their brothers or their dads or their uh, co-workers or the people in their community to know what they've undergone, either in their workplace or some other place. And so they do want a confidential settlement because they don't want to talk about what happened to them. And that should be their choice. And government should not get in the way of that. Because I always say, Alyssa, that you know when a woman is raped, she's lost control. Someone else has taken control. This helps her to get control back in her life because she's decided on her options and she's decided which option she wants to pursue. And I think that people also lose sight of the fact that rape is not just about that or any sexual abuse is not just about that incident. Mm -hmm. The effects of that loss of control Mm -hmm. last for a lifetime if you don't properly deal with them and put them in their right place. Part of that so often is closure. For me in particular, I had a sexual assault at a concert. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget it. I was at a Madonna concert. And she said out loud, everybody, come to the stage. Get closer to me. Mm -hmm. What happened? There was a stampede. People were pushed up against the stage. The bouncers, I'm looking up at the bouncer. He's like, I can't do anything for you. I'm like, help me. And this guy behind me never saw his face started punching me under my skirt violently. Mm -hmm. And there's no recourse for that. There's no way that I could hold him accountable. I don't know who it was. I couldn't hold her accountable. So I just suppressed it because I was like, well, what am I going to do here? There's nothing really that that I thought that I could do at that point. A lot of this of holding people accountable is to gain back control that they lost in that moment that then a lifetime of hurt or misplaced emotion went unchecked and then what happens and that's why you know when when you see someone like dr ford come forward or someone that where it's been 30 years or 40 years since this has happened to me it makes sense i go yeah i get that i understand why this person didn't come forward at that time or why this has sort of imploded their lives 40 years later. And the statute of limitations on sexual assault makes zero sense to me because it takes us so long 
to gain back control, to want to hold someone accountable for that or to have the strength after that has been taken from us. Well, so I they, think you make a good point. And it, many people have seen my Netflix documentary. Which is amazing. I thank you, Seeing All Red. Yes. And you see in this Netflix documentary, which by the way is still streaming so people can still see it, um, you see many of my clients who were accusers of Bill Cosby mm -hmm. and who were, they alleged, victims of Bill Cosby, drugged or sexually assaulted by him, um, and for whom it was too late as a matter of law to do anything, uh, decide that they were going to do something to change the law, right. to change the statute of limitations. So we did accomplish that in California. We were we waged the battle, and we were successful in eliminating the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution of rape in California. And there are efforts ongoing in other states. We lengthened the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution of rape, sexual assault in Nevada. Uh, I also testified in uh, Colorado. We extended it there. So, you know, there is a movement to do that. The statute of limitations is basically a deadline for filing a lawsuit. When a crime occurs, a person has a certain amount of time to press charges before the case can no longer be tried. Mr. Cosby has shown no remorse and there, there has been no justice for many of the accusers who were barred from a court by the arbitrary time limits imposed by the statute of limitations. But many of them were brave enough to speak to law enforcement and some of them were chosen to testify as prior bad act witnesses. So we are very proud of those who cooperated with law enforcement, did what they could do to have a just result. When you talk about how people keep their emotions, they try to push them down, I, I totally agree with you. And that's what I call rage turned inward. Mm. So what I say is don't tranquilize yourself out of that rage. Mm. Take that rage and turn it outward into constructive action for change. That's something you've done, I know, on you know the abortion bill uh, in Georgia, which makes it a crime, for example, for a doctor to perform an abortion after possibly six weeks or after a heartbeat is detected, which means that that would severely limit uh, a woman or a girl's ability to get an abortion legally because what will happen is that many of them will do what I did when I was young and when abortion was a crime in many states and before Roe v. Wade, which would be to go to an unlicensed person who then performs the abortion, then that placed my life at risk. I almost died and bled to death from an illegal abortion. It you? wasn't illegal for me to have one, but it was illegal for a doctor to, to provide one. And so we never want that to happen again and to think that now we are here in the year 2019. <clears throat> and again, there are politicians who want to control women's lives and choices who are passing these restrictive laws because what they're trying to do is get Roe v. Wade reversed by the 
Supreme Court. So, And it is all about control. It is it's about control. Controlling women. And that's why I want to thank you for your efforts in Georgia in or you know to stop that bill i mean it's passed but that doesn't matter you wage the good fight and i know you're continuing to gather celebrities together to boycott georgia as a place All in which states. to film because of what they're doing to women that's the right thing to do mm-hmm. you know we can't we don't have the power to stop everything but we have the power to do everything that we can to speak our truth and to, and to speak out. And to leverage whatever that power exactly. is. Exactly. And to take, I think, and the reason why Me Too has been uh, so powerful is because we were able to take a collective pain mm-hmm. and transform that into a collective power. Exactly. And that, to me, is... A means that we're going to have staying power because now it's this generation of women that are teaching our daughters and our sons mm-hmm. and maybe more importantly our sons and 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 we're we're shifting the culture mm-hmm. this right. this horrible systemic culture I am so excited to tell you about third love because as you probably know finding a bra that fits can be quite the challenge but that is all about to change Third Love bras are not only comfortable, but they actually look good too. They have over 70 sizes, including half cup sizes, so it will fit you correctly. Their Fit Finder quiz takes under 60 seconds and uses data points generated by millions of women to help you find the perfect fit. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date. If you order from them, you have 60 days to wear the bra, wash it, put it to the test, and if you don't love it, you can return it, and when you do that, they will donate it to a woman in need. So, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. And right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off on your first order. All you need to do is go to thirdlove.com slash sorry to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off. That's thirdlove.com slash sorry. You probably know you should be taking your vitamins. But with so many options out there, it's tricky to know which ones, what nutrients you need, and how to decide. Women need an effective multivitamin that they can trust. And when Kat Schneider realized that this didn't exist, she decided to create her own and founded Ritual. Ritual Essential for Women is the multivitamin reimagined. It's obsessively researched and designed for women by women. Ritual contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day, even with a healthy diet. And instead of taking a handful of different vitamins, Ritual makes it easy with just two capsules a day. I've switched to Ritual. And I love that I don't feel nauseous afterwards because their capsules have a no-nausea design. Genius. I love that they are transparent about where they source their ingredients, and they have all the information on their website. You can order online, and for around $1 a day, it's delivered to your door monthly. And for a limited time, Ritual is offering my listeners one free week during your first month. Just go to ritual.com slash Alyssa to start your ritual today. That's one week free of Ritual at ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A. So wait, I have so much that I want to ask you because you're just... So you're such a hero of mine, truly. I was wondering, 
if was there a moment in your upbringing or your childhood where you realized that that changed your path or you realized what you were meant to do from that moment on? I think, Alyssa, that it was a combination of moments and combination of, you know, injustices. None of us is spared, mm. you know, whether we're lawyers or actors or secretaries or factory workers or anything else. We all have life experiences uh, as women that where we, you know, whether it's violence against women on account of our gender, whether it's economic injustice, uh, whether it's pregnancy discrimination, sexual harassment, whatever it is, child sexual abuse, that helps us to understand that these are wrongs that are inflicted on us because we are women. So I had a combination of those and uh, many of them, and but it was not until I became an attorney that I realized that, wait a minute, this didn't just happen to me. I started hearing from many women who came in to see me, you know, as clients to understand, wait, this is happening to so many women. Okay, this is pervasive. This is systematic. This is severe. And I became the president of the local chapter of the National Organization for Women, at Los Angeles chapter. And then I heard so much more about what was happening to women. And then I suddenly realized, wait, I can do something about it. Mm. And when I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania, I learned how to make a moral choice, which is if you have the ability to act to help someone and make change, and you have the opportunity and you have the desire, it's the only choice you can make, yes. the only moral choice. So. For example, you have the ability to act to make a difference. You have the opportunity. You have the desire. Yeah, As and it's I not do. A, it's not it's a, the only moral choice we can make. That's right. It's not really a choice because if you ignore that privilege, then you're almost not that you're taking for granted your own successes. Exactly. In a way, I feel that we have a duty and we don't have a right to turn our back on others. In fact, to the contrary, I feel that I'm very blessed and honored to have become a lawyer because, I mean, my parents had an eighth grade education. And I lived in a little row house in Philadelphia. We never had a car when I was growing up, very little money. So if I've been able to become a lawyer to help to win change, to make a difference, this is the only moral choice I could make. And so that's why I do it. And I don't know how we not do it. Um the suffragists used to say, you know, that it's, you know, what's the alternative to fighting for women's rights? It's having a women's rights convulsion. Well, because you're keeping everything inside. Yeah. And no, thank goodness for the suffragists, they didn't. And you don't, and I don't. And this is how we win change. This is how we do it. How As do you your t-shirt says, we are the change we wish to see in the world, which I actually start my book, which I wrote in 2006, with this quote from Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. How do you feel about the Equal Rights Amendment and the, the upsurge of trying to ratify it? Well, that's exciting. Uh, <laughs> I feel that too. <laughs> very exciting. Uh, I mean, back in the 70s, I was one of the key people debating then the, uh, the uh, opposition, which was Phyllis Schlafly. Yes. The major objection to the Equal Rights Amendment is that it would take away from women rights and privileges which they now have. 
rights to uh, stay home. They still have that right, the equal rights. But not, under, not, take not according right. to law. According to the best constitutional authority and the debates in the Senate, uh, this would remove and wipe out the laws of the 50 states which make the husband primarily responsible for the financial support of his wife and children. Uh, 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 you know, fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment, protesting against the deadline that was placed on the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. And for those who don't know, it's simply the the simple wording of the Equal Rights Amendment that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. And so we fought the good fight. We couldn't get enough states to ratify in time for the deadline, the deadline should never have been imposed and wasn't on most amendments to the Constitution. Right. So again, we're double burden mm-hmm. uh, unfairly because we're women. But now we have 37 out of 38 states we need. Then there'll be some more work to do after that, either through a lawsuit or Congress to lift the deadline. But having said that, we're close, but close is not good enough. Yeah, We need that 38th state. And we need to, and we should have it. We need to win it this year, but it's not going to happen unless we fight to win it. Because as I always say, no one ever gives women our rights. We always have to fight to to win them. So we have to keep fighting this fight. Some states won't even allow a hearing on it, which shows that they're afraid that if there is a hearing, that we'll win the passage. Right. And so that's their way of not having to take a vote. So I was in the historic hearing after 36 years that Chairman Cohen and Jerry Nadler put together, and it was on Congresswoman Spear and her bill to lift the arbitrary deadline. And sitting in that hearing room was so powerful because, you know, it's part of the fight, obviously. But listening to the opposition, because, of course, they you know, testified in both directions, was so enraging because it's just a bunch of bullshit, (laughs) to be honest with you. It's a bunch of bullshit Uh for them to say they just don't want us in the Constitution as far as I'm concerned. It should not become a part of the Constitution, many of us believe, for a number of reasons, including this one. The bipartisan Hyde Amendment prohibits the use of federal funds for abortions except in cases of rape, incest, or when the life of the mother is endangered. The Supreme Court upheld the Hyde Amendment's abortion funding restrictions as constitutional in Harris v. McRae. But the people's right to protect the unborn would be eliminated if the ERA were to pass. It should not be this difficult. And when you look That's at right. this this 38th state, this is a no-brainer. This is not, you know, and people are saying, well, why do we need it? It's just symbolic. Well, symbols matter. I mean, besides the fact that Section 2 allows for Congress to actually, you know, write policy based on discrimination against women, which is amazing and something that I do feel that we need, how we are still fighting this battle, one state, Virginia didn't do it, Arizona just tried, they weren't able to do it, the fact that there is still opposition against including women in the Constitution is so infuriating to me. And you've been fighting that battle since 72. What do you think is the holdup? <laughs> if well, you could say it's a holdup, what would be the holdup? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's essential, by the way, and it's not just symbolic. It would be a legal guarantee of equality of rights for women in the United States Constitution 
And I think the holdup, to answer your question, is that there is an organized opposition which perpetuates many myths, lies, um, about what it would mean to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. There were many myths and, and lies told about what suffrage would mean for women, women right. winning the right to vote. That are very similar to some of the misconceptions that are circulated today. And so that, and that, of course, long before the internet, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that took 72 years for women to win suffrage. Yeah. Uh, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, women winning the right to vote. And I always say nobody gave it to us. We had a fight to win it 72 years. God bless Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, all of those very Cole. brave women who fought for that passage of the 19th Amendment. God bless all the women in the United Kingdom who lobbied and fasted and uh, went to jail and some of whom died fighting to win the right to vote for women uh, in the United Kingdom. So we owe that to our foremothers, but they had it even worse than we did. But we So that took 72 years. Now it's since 1923. So we have, uh, you know, we have about 96 years into this. It's even taking longer than to win the right to vote. Um, it's, it's used to manipulate people's minds. That is the right, extreme right wing. Mm-hmm. And again, the idea that only, the only place women are in our Constitution is in the 19th Amendment suffrage and nowhere else and that we still do not enjoy full equal rights, that it's still an issue, that it's still controversial, just shows us how far we have to go. Right. And it's just so people are aware, the opposition is bathrooms, (laughs) military, meaning women would have to fight, you know, in in wars, which women are already doing, the abortion issue, Mm -hmm. using the Equal Rights Amendment to prevent the Supreme Court from rolling back Roe v. Wade, which I think is is super legitimate that we need to sort of talk about. There's there's this school of thought that we should not talk about the Equal Rights Amendment covering trans rights and abortion rights. And I think because we're in such a dangerous time right now where they're trying to roll back those rights, this is even more reason to be fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment. And much like the framers not including AR-15, in the Second Amendment, I think we have to include trans rights and abortion rights in the Equal Rights Amendment. We can't leave any. If we're making this fight and we're fighting for this, we can't leave anybody behind. Is is my thing. But there is a, a school of thought that as soon as we bring up abortion and trans rights, that there's no way that this is going to pass. I think it's more reason for it to pass. Well, I think it's going to be for the courts to decide, right, and to interpret what the Equal Rights Amendment means, because we always say the law is what the courts say it is. Yeah. They have the last word on that unless the Congress or state legislatures disagree, and then then they can pass new laws. But the point is, let's focus on the main point, that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That means on account of gender. And... um 
you know, we know that it's going to help our daughters. We know that it's going to help our sisters and our moms. We know it's going to help us that we're not going to be considered second-class citizens under the law anymore. And that's what's really important. So we have to fight the fight. Thank you for bringing it up because sometimes it is not even mentioned in any conversation about what's important in women's rights. Yeah. And we must remember that is the single most important uh, legal issue for women. We, we must pass the Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It, this is not close. This is not negotiable. It was almost a hundred years ago in 1923 that Alice Paul, a leader of the women's suffrage movement, first introduced to the public an idea of what would eventually become the proposed Equal Rights Amendment. The rising voices of women, the passage of civil rights laws, and the power of organized labor all helped to build momentum in the 70s when it passed Congress. This has been a lifetime campaign for many of us. A lifetime campaign. It doesn't start in 1923 with Alice Paul, actually. Um, We have been an afterthought in this country since the beginning of this country. The Constitution instructs that after a proposed amendment receives the required two-thirds of the vote in each of the houses, it has to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. After the ERA was sent to the states in 72, it was ratified by 35 of the necessary 38 state legislatures. But for decades, that extraordinary progress toward equality stalled. A well-organized counter-movement scared the American people into thinking that a guarantee of equality would somehow harm women who stay at home to raise their children and would erode American families. What had started as a matter of broad consensus became another divisive issue in the culture wars. I feel like courts are so important right now as we're watching our rights being rolled back. And yet people don't understand how important courts are and how much elections matter in appointing judges. Oh, it matters so much. So what do you think of the court stacking that's going on right now? Well, what I'm so very concerned about the United States Supreme Court, and thank you for supporting Dr. Ford, Mm -hmm. again, fighting the good fight, and even though they, you know, the Republicans had the majority in the Senate, they steamrolled over everything, it was about brute, brute power, and it wasn't about what was right. She, I don't think she could have been more credible. I don't either. To, I mean, the public, that was amazing that she had the courage to do what she did. But having said that, I, I as a lawyer who has to deal with law every single day, and what it can do for people and what it can't, I do know that it does matter who's sitting on the United States Supreme Court. What do they mean by the words packing the Supreme Court? Let me answer this question with a bluntness that will end all honest misunderstanding of my purposes. If by that phrase, packing the court, it is charged that I wish to place on the bench spineless puppets, who would disregard the law and would decide specific cases as I wish them to be decided, I make this answer, that no president 
fit for his office would appoint, and no Senate of honorable men fit for their office would confirm that kind of appointees to the Supreme Court. Right now, we are at an extreme, well, we're in crisis as far as I'm concerned. And God forbid anything happens to RBG, who is my shero, and I'm sure she is for you as well. And I I had the honor of being able to sit next to her for dinner uh, last November at Mm -hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court and have a conversation with her. And she is clear-headed and brave and everything that everybody thinks she is and more. Wonderful human being. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is, you know, we all want her to have the best of health and to keep fighting the good fight in the battles that she's waging for her health. But she is so important on the court. There was a senator, I, th- I think it was after the pancreatic cancer, who announced with great glee that I was going to be dead within six months. That senator, whose name I've forgotten, is now himself dead. <laughs> <laughs> And I am very much alive. So, you know, if she or any other person who is progressive and thoughtful on the court and, you know, progressive, thoughtful people are in a minority now. I'm not saying that conservatives are not thoughtful, but they're not necessarily progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is just going to be a, a disaster of, of proportions that I cannot even describe. Catastrophe is a word that uh, is a is is a fair word for what will happen if there is a vacancy during Trump's term, right? And he has an opportunity to appoint someone to yep. the Supreme Court of the United States, because whomever he appoints will likely be there much longer than he will be there, and will have an impact on the law. That you know, it does send you know shudders through me to even think about that so and we're seeing some major cases come yeah up. we are seeing some important cases there's a conservative majority now but it'll be worse far worse if if, if some you know if if he trump gets another, another appointment and so we'll see rbg's 85 years old and she's strong um and i love the fact of of her stamina and, you know, the fact that she's fighting that good fight yeah. and prevailing. I mean, she's back in the court. Well, she, uh, knows, she knows how important it is. She does. I think she feels that weight. And everybody knows that if Trump gets another appointment, it's not going to be anyone of the caliber of RBG because there is no one else of that yeah. caliber that he would even consider or maybe even exists. Nobody even close. Look what he did. Phil, well, not what he did, but with... Another president did, Republican president, filling the, the seat of the yeah. fa- the Justice Thurgood Marshall with Clarence Thomas, who I also have had an opportunity to meet and chat with. But um, all I can say is, yes, back to your point, elections make a difference. Who the president is makes a difference. And Senate, even Senate as majority. we speak right now, Trump and McConnell, majority leader, Republican majority leader McConnell, are placing on the federal courts, which have lifetime appointments, often extreme right-wing appointees to federal courts throughout the country, to federal appellate courts, 
that will have an impact on our rights for many, many decades to come. Long and, after Trump's yes, out of office. Yes, and so this is kind of like the silence, you know, that is happening. We don't see it, but underneath the earth, the earth is moving. The court is moving to the right. I was just involved with, you know, the uh, one of my clients, uh, Ginger White, who alleged that she had a 13-year affair with Herman Cain, mm -hmm. which he denies. And he was uh, put out there by President Trump as a potential uh, nominee for the Federal Reserve Board. And so I have another client, Sharon Bilek, and, you know, she alleged that he had sexually harassed her. And then, and, and my client, Ginger, we went public. We had a press conference uh, where she alleged that she could, you know, she could prove that Herman Cain did have a 13-year relationship mm -hmm. with her affair on and off, and that if he became the nominee of President Trump, she would go before the Senate Banking Committee, and she would, if asked, testify about certain bodily parts of his that would not be visible through his clothes. She could identify them. Well, a couple days after we did that press conference, I don't know, about a month ago, well, you know, suddenly uh, Mr. Kane decided to withdraw his name I bet for the did. Federal Reserve for Board, uh, saying something about, well, because he, the pay was too little or right. whatever. Uh -huh. I, I don't know what other excuse he made, but what a coincidence. Yeah. Just a few days after our press conference. So that was very brave of Ginger. Yes. Thank you, Ginger. And and very brave of Sharon, too. And we had thank spoken you, out. Yes. We had spoken out years ago. Uh, I think that was 2012. Oh, when Herman Cain was running to be the presidential nominee of the Republican Party. And so we said it then. And then he stepped down. I think he may have said, well, he had to spend more time with his family. I don't know what his story was at that time. But then he resurfaced now. And, right. and so we came back now. We're not going oh away. God. We're going <laughs> to. We will keep coming back. The women are going to tell the truth about their lives. And, you know, if someone denies it, well, then women have a right to present their evidence at a hearing. Obviously, that was not going to happen. Um, because he withdrew, but it would have happened had he decided to stand his ground. You know I love talking about self-care, and part of self-care is making your home feel like home. You spend one-third of your life in sheets, so shouldn't they be super comfortable? When you sleep, you should sleep well on hotel-quality sheets that don't cost hotel prices. That's why I want to tell you about Brooklinen Sheets, named the winner of the best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. Brooklinen was founded in early 2014 by a husband and wife who wanted to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. They just wanted comfort. They offer luxury sheets, towels, bedding, and more without the luxury markup. I mean, did you know that most bedding is marked up as much as 300%? My Brooklinen sheets are the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on, and their towels are so soft. 
brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code Alyssa at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code Alyssa at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com. Promo code Alyssa. A-L-Y-S-S-A. They really are the best sheets ever. It gets so hot here in the summer, and the last thing I want to do is spend my days trapped indoors over a hot stove or oven. There are so many fun things to do outside, right? So I need the option to just eat and go. And that's what I love about Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers thoughtfully sourced, chef-crafted food that is built on fruits and vegetables and can be prepared in less than five minutes. They have more than 65 options like ready-to-blend smoothies, refreshing chilled soups, and savory harvest bowls. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. And when you are, each Daily Harvest cup takes one step to prepare with room for customization. You can add your favorite milk to a smoothie and blend it or heat a harvest bowl and top it with an avocado or an egg. All of the ingredients are sourced and selected for maximum nourishment and peak season flavor. I love their Brussels sprouts and cauliflower rice and pesto. Mm, It tastes so good and is so healthy. And I love that it's a single serving cup. So when the kids are at camp, I could just grab my food and go. If you go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code SORRY, you can get $25 off your first box. That's promo code SORRY for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. What do you think it is about us meaning human beings, where we're able to overlook the indiscretions of powerful men. Like, I look at Trump. What are we at? 19 women now? So many. I So many. How yeah. is that okay? It's not okay. But this is not just about him. It's about us. It's about women's word. Mm. Does it have value? Do women have value? Do they matter? When we overlook the allegations of women or say they're treated as though this is some kind of footnote to history and does not important, um, then we are saying that women aren't important and, or women are not to be believed against the denial of a rich, powerful, famous man. Right. So that's very troubling. But rather than wallowing in self-pity and, oh, my goodness, how terrible this is, you know, we choose to do something about that. Yeah which is, you know, we resist, we insist, we persist, we elect. We do everything like, you know, that you're doing. We protest, we speak out, we don't go away. And most importantly, we elect. So more women are running for Congress and getting elected. There are a number of women now running for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. Which is so amazing to see. it's, It's wonderful. It's overdue. It's what we always say, a woman's place is in the House, the White House, we do this. And it's very, very important. And so we, you know, we can first grieve about what has happened, but then we come back and we say, here's what we can do, and we do something. And it is very empowering, and it is, empowerment is very courageous, contagious, yeah. and courageous, 
and this is what we do. So uh, it's I, an exciting time to live. I believe that the success of Me Too is solely because we were so enraged that Trump was elected and he was on tape saying he grabbed women by the... Mm, and women were up in arms and didn't know how to fight against that and used our own pain to, to come forward. And the women's marches. And the women's marches. So exciting. So exciting. All right, a solid period of action. We must organize, all of us. Can I say hip, hip for organizing? It just feels like a very important time. And all over the country and in many places around the world, the women's marches taking place. And I feel like, and I don't know, maybe this, this might be a perfect question to ask you. For the first time in my life, we are not being pitted against each other, which I think was part of a plan so that we wouldn't form this community and we wouldn't discuss what so-and-so did to us in the other office. And I feel for the first time in my life this sense of true sisterhood yeah. that I don't know ha had ever existed before. Do you feel that? Well, I, I feel that we are united because we know what's at stake. Right. And, you know, it's exciting to see women of all ages of different races and ages and, you know, physical conditions and different sexual orientations to go all together. And, and also many men. Yes. Marching often with their toddlers yeah. in strollers or in their arms and saying, you know, I support my daughter. And uh, so it, it's, and I love the sign, by the way, with one of the older women was carrying that said, I'm carrying the same sign for more than 50 years and my arms are getting tired. I could definitely relate to that. But getting tired is a luxury that we can't afford. We have to keep going. And I know that she will keep going, whomever she is. Mm -hmm. So we will keep going and these marches will keep going. And then women will find other ways to be empowered. And whether it's on the internet where there are no gatekeepers anymore, and that's so important because the gatekeepers in the past, many of them have been men. Before the internet, women couldn't get their truth out. That's right. But I also think it's why women are most abused. You know, women on the internet are the most abused. We are trolled harder. We are harassed. We are doxxed. And I think it's because we've found our power there, and they're trying to take away our power there. Well... I always say if if you're not being attacked on the internet, you're probably not saying anything important or mm. that really has an impact or makes a difference. So in a way, wear that as a badge of honor. Don't let it deter you. I mean, that's a hard truth to absorb for many who've never been public figures before. Right. You know, in other words, maybe they've been victims and nobody knew except a few people maybe in their family, if yeah. anyone, and suddenly they've decided they're going public and all of a sudden they're being attacked. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. why? This is terrible. It's hurtful. I can't take this. And okay, so this is something also to think about. Right. Before anyone does make a, an important allegation on the internet because there are people who will attack them. 
And this is just the way it is because there are a lot of people who have nothing to do but sit down there all day and try to hurt other people. And that's a shame. And I, I don't condemn those people, but I think they need a lot of education. Right. And they need some help. But I, it is hard on people who are victims. Right. And I think you're, and on the other side of that, it also, social media has enabled everyone to have a platform and everyone to have a voice, which is such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But to also understand the, what, the responsibility that comes mm-hmm. along with that, mm-hmm. the responsibility of having a platform and what that means for your internet community and your circle and to use that in a way that's conducive for healing and, and empathy and compassion and all those things because it's very easy to sit behind your computer and throw daggers. Well, yeah. And and, and a lot of people who are supportive of victims uh, – don't necessarily get on their computer and say it. Right. But the people who want to attack the credibility of those victims, uh, they get on and they will say what they have to say. And But I always remind a lot of my clients, look, if they're, here's how I feel. If, if, they're, if people are calling me names, I feel that I've won my argument. I feel the exact same way. Because if they had a good argument, they would give it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they just call names or use four-letter words. And that's a sign to me that I've won my argument. Right. So if Are I look at it social- that way, it doesn't bother me at all. Are you on social media? I am. I mean, I wouldn't say I, I, I actually spend very little time there. People always say, you need to be have a bigger presence on social media. I am so focused on my cases. Yeah. This is my life. I'm doing this. If I'm not sleeping or on a plane without internet, I am communicating with my clients, with the lawyers in my firm, with other lawyers I'm dealing with in other states, with people who will, you know, contact me and want to be my clients and docking strategy, doing the next step. You know, I'm just totally involved with my clients, Saturday, Sunday, holidays, nights, weekends, whatever. This is what I do. And so that's my main focus. When I think about you, I think about your press conferences and how well you've been able to utilize that, your platform, basically, Mm -hmm. to encourage women to speak their truth. Mm -hmm. And you were empowering women to speak out in a very public way, I think, well before anyone understood the power of that. Yes, we did that because I started doing that, I think, in the 70s. And Why? Like, what, what about... How did you know that that would be important? Well, because I met a, a woman named Midge McKenzie mm-hmm. who wrote a very powerful book called Shoulder to Shoulder. She was here f- from the UK. And it was made into a BBC television series, which was shown here. And it was a story of how women in the United Kingdom won the right to vote. And she, and I have that book, which shows you know, the diaries and some of the photos Mm -hmm. of these brave women. Um, But she said to me, Gloria, history of women is not something just in the past. It's women are living their history now, Mm -hmm. and you need to help them to tell their stories, to tell their truth, and get that out there. So before that, mostly it was, frankly, male lawyers not letting their clients speak, Right. And so women couldn't tell their truth. Okay, so I th- really thought about what she said. And then, you know, as I became the president of the LA chapter, 
of now, I thought, you know what, she's right. So I started doing these press conferences to help women speak their truth and help to win change. And it started making a big difference for them and in the law and elsewhere. And so I did it more and more and more. So essentially we've been doing the Me Too since the 70s, but of course other things as well, not just speaking out, filing lawsuits, winning lawsuits, settling, winning hundreds of millions of dollars for victims. And so women could see this is what's happening. Women like them mm-hmm. who are not lawyers can speak out, speak their truth. And this is what happens as a result. So powerful. So it really started making a difference. We did it more and more. And more women found the courage and said, wait, I saw that nurse speaking out. I saw that That's bus right. driver speaking out. I saw that, you know, that female soldier. I saw that rape victim. I can do that too. I will do that. I'm going to do something about what happened. Mothers would contact me. This is what happened to my daughter. What can we do? So that's what happened. And especially in the 70s and 80s, you know, a lot of them, male news editors of newspapers, assignment editors, television, and elsewhere. It's like they were making decisions as to whose story would get out. And I decided we're going to have these women they can form their narrative. Yep. They can define themselves before others want to tell their story but don't necessarily understand their story. So smart. Let them speak out. This is their narrative. This is what happened to them, they allege. So, you know, whatever people are going to do in covering it afterwards, they're going to do. But they're going to be able to tell their story their way in their own terms. And that in and of itself is empowering. And right now, attorney Gloria Allred is holding a press conference at the Lotte New York Palace. She says it comes in response to threats and retaliation by singer R. Kelly against one of his alleged victims. He has been accused of physically and emotionally abusing more than 50 women. Thank you very much for coming today. I'm attorney Gloria Allred. I'll be making a statement and then my client... Uh, whose name I shall provide, will be making a statement. Taking a stand against R. Kelly, someone who's been termed the king of R&B and is loved by many has not been easy. I decided after a great deal of thought that I should speak my truth. After Donald Trump was caught on tape bragging about groping women, a number of women came forward to share their experiences. I am here today to add my voice to that of the other Trump accusers. I just think of you sitting there. I mean, I don't know if you have physical contact with them, but in my mind, you're like holding their hand under the table or there's just something so when you see you, Mm -hmm. I think support, I think protection because you always come off like you're protecting I your am. client. I am. very protective. Yeah. Well, I you can tell. protective. Thank you for giving <laughs> survivors you. a voice. No, seriously, because I, I can't think of a time before you than that happened. And to me, it's like you were implementing the power of Me Too, meaning the power of one person coming out and making other people feel comfortable enough to tell their stories. You were doing this in in the media that was available to you at the time. The power of one. The power of one. And, and, you know, each woman woman found that she, as I always say, that she had the strength and courage to win change. Something amazing to her that maybe she never thought was even possible before. And that has an impact on their daughters. 
and their, you know, their family, their coworkers, their community, when they see, you know what, they took certain risks for justice and they were able to be rewarded in the sense that they helped to win change. And here's how they can do it. And so they weren't willing necessarily to take no for an answer. Right. They fought on. And now that has helped them and women in general to earn more respect, more dignity. Mm-hmm. dignity. And now I say often the fear is on the other side. Yes. Because I'm dealing with opposing counsel, yes. and, you know, opposing defendants all the time. And now, like, you know, if I send them a letter, um, you know, about what's happened to my client, I usually get, you know, a prompt response. <laughs> because bet. fear is on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't threaten anybody, but just the fact that I'm breathing. Right. I'm there. I sent that letter. I explained what evidence we have has caused them to decide, you know what? Maybe we should have a conversation about this. Maybe I should and call how you we back. Can resolve this, okay? Because, you know, they don't know what I'm going to do. I don't say what I'm going to do. I do what I think is the right thing after it's approved by my client. And, you know, we do it. We're we're dedicated, committed to winning justice. I've had I had somebody say to me, Gloria, you don't have to say what you're saying. The lights are not on. The cameras are not rolling. And I said, this is who I am. It's not right. just what I do. When the cameras are rolling, this is I'm 100%, 1,000% committed to winning justice for my client as much as is possible under the law. I used to say anything that's legal and peaceful, but now I don't say peaceful anymore. I just say <laughs> All legal. bets are off. That's it. Uh, so, so if this is a part of who you are, <laughs> does it emotionally affect you? Because, and I'll just give you my, my for instance, and I'm much more interested in what y- you have to say on this, but I know after Me Too hit, I would be in an airport or in a supermarket and people would come over to me and hold my hand and get tears in their eyes and say, me too. And it was very triggering for me to have the confidence of people to share that with me, but also it triggered my own abuse and assault that hadn't been dealt with. And I was very emotional. It was very hard for me to separate the position that I had in the movement versus the personal emotion that would that would hurt my soul so does this work still hurt your soul not really because i'm always looking at options when someone is hurt and they approach me about it whether they contact me by email or by phone or in an airport Mm -hmm. or in a grocery store Mm -hmm. which i have that as well as i bet (laughs) i do i I'm, i'm right away thinking okay what are the options? What can be done to help them to win justice? Is so you go they... right into... No, I don't because it's really up to them. Right. I'm not there to suggest unless someone asks me. Right. Because that's just, that's who I am. I, I need to be asked, what can I do? Did Some you... people just want to share that they're in pain. Right. It really depends on what they want. Mm-hmm. Some people are just newly in pain. Yeah. Uh, But if I'm asked, then I will try to analyze it or suggest who they can contact wherever they are. That might be a good person for them to meet. You know, I actually, I'm, uh, I'm leading at the National 
Trial Lawyers, which is a very large organization of uh, plaintiffs' lawyers and also criminal defense lawyers, but I deal mainly with the plaintiffs' lawyers. Uh, that's like pe- lawyers who represent individuals who have been harmed, victims um, of companies or institutions or government or mm-hmm. just, you know, in relationships. And try, I'm working to form a women, women's rights network nationwide of lawyers in, in in every state who can help people in that state to know what their rights are and to assert their rights and to vindicate their rights. So this is very important And um, because what's the point of having rights if there's nobody there to help right. uh, vindicate those rights? Or, or teach you about those yeah, rights. Yeah, and many people don't know. And I mean, for the most part, in schools... People don't learn about their rights. I didn't. Or even like once you get older, your rights as a breastfeeding mother when you go back to work. These things aren't discussed openly. And I think that leaves the door open for abuses of power. Well, I mean, you think about why is it the women don't know their rights. Well, yeah. And uh, you're right. I mean, large corporations, uh, government, often small businesses, they don't want the victims to know their rights because then they might actually exercise their rights. Right, exactly. So in 1978, I formed the Women's Equal Rights Legal Defense and Education Form Fund in order to help women learn about their rights and have access to their rights. Uh, and so that's very, very important. I mean, people call me from so many states and say, we don't know anybody in, and then name the state, whether it's in the South, right. sometimes the Southwest, other parts of the country. Uh in states, you know, poor women, young women, often rural women, very vulnerable, um, and they don't know who to go to. And they say, like, I don't trust anybody in my city. I don't trust anybody, you know, in my state. They're all, like, in league, the old boys club, this kind of thing. Yep. So, you know, we want to provide access but and education. So one of the things, like, when I'm doing a press conference, for example, that's a teaching moment. It's not just about that case. Interesting. It's about what women can do in a situation like, like that. This. Oh, that's so sad. So, I mean, I was a teacher for many years before I became a lawyer, six and a half years in public schools. I was a lecturer also at USC. Um, but after that, and but the point is, this: these are all teaching moments. The show is a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. What you do when you go to another state and you protest, unless people are looking at that, they're learning from that. Yeah, it's important that they see it and feel it and understand. Try to understand it. It's all important in the marketplace of ideas. It's all important in helping to win change. And I feel like that's why we have to continue to show up in person, even though there's such a digital movement or a device movement oh, yeah. where we're mm-hmm. constantly looking. You know, we need to we need to make human contact. It's so important. And especially in those teaching moments, because I feel the most important part of conveying a message is connection so that people can look into your eyes or know that you feel it, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, so thank you for the work that you have done for women, for my daughter, for my mother, for everybody. Well, thank you so much. I have a passion for justice, and it is my duty And we all have this wonderful opportunity. And so that's what we need to do is continue to 
inspire and encourage other women to get involved and to know that they can make a difference. There's so many ways. Just people say to me, well, what can I do? And and I always say, it, it, it. I think of the James Thurber quote, that sometimes the question is more important than the answer. Mm. So what can I do means they want to do something. And then we tell them what everybody can do something, whether it's make a contribution to a cause you believe in financially or time, you give your time or run for office or support other people who are running for office or speak out on the internet and for a cause you believe in or go and protest or do, you know, or file a lawsuit or do whatever it is you can do. Everybody has an opportunity to do something, frankly, every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I say in my book, Fight Back and Win, you know, we have an opportunity to have a Rosa Parks moment every day. And we all can be, you know, warriors for equality. And we all should do that. And thank goodness so many women and millions of women are doing it in their own way every day. But doing nothing is not an option because then we are continuing to be second-class citizens. It is a vote to continue our second-class citizenship. So we each have a, a duty to move it forward. This is a, what we have done. We're all part of the women's movement. So thank you so much for inviting me to be on your important program today. Thank you. And, thank you. I needed, and having an I opportunity to get today. to know you a little bit. We live in a time when there's no more wars of ideas, just wars of personalities. Or so our opponents on the right would have you believe. And if this is true for men, it is certainly true, maybe 10 times over for women. So how do we measure our success as progressive women in these times? Well, one great measure is when the Trump trolls and the right wing media machine stops talking about your ideas and starts attacking you as a woman. And a lot of us are winning these days. In fact, it seems that nothing triggers the trolls like women standing up for other women. We saw this in 2017 when our sexual predator-in-chief was campaigning for Roy Moore, an accused child molester. Gloria Allred represented one of the accusers, of whom Trump said, Anytime you see her, you know something's going wrong. Given Gloria's constant fight for women's justice, he must think things are going wrong a whole hell of a lot. I don't need to look past my first few Twitter mentions any day to see this in action. The hate that weak men throw at any message in support of Me Too, the Equal Rights Amendment, abortion rights, demands for equal pay, while these hateful snowflakes They're melting faster than Trump's re-election chances. Poorly written articles with screeching headlines from their propaganda partners calling me a baby-killing feminazi who is depriving them of their sandwiches, and I should just stick to showing my boobs. Really brilliant commentary from the conservative machine. Why? Because they know they cannot beat women sticking together. There are more of us, and we are better educated. We are more motivated to vote. And while men in precarious positions of power keep throwing roadblocks in our way, when we help one another, when we help one another over these roadblocks, 
the true weakness of the patriarchy shines through. Unless they can shout us down, intimidate us into silence, they know they are on the last wobbly legs of the status quo. Maya Angelou said, I love to see a young girl go out and grab the world by the lapels. Life's a bitch. You've got to go out and kick ass. And nothing makes a bully cry like getting his ass kicked by a group of girls. So when they throw their hate at you, when they call you vile, horrible names, just smile back and then ask their wives or sisters or mothers to come with you to vote. Let us be each other's armor. Let's laugh at their smallness, carry one another over through their gross gauntlet and claim our birthright together. We can fix the world. And man, that will piss them off. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Sim Sarna and Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. It's edited by Josh Windage. Music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry. Me again. Just reminding you that if you didn't get a chance to check out Third Love, you should. Comfortable bras, amazing fit, super easy process. They are offering my listeners 15% off on your first order. All you need to do is go to thirdlove.com slash sorry to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off. That's thirdlove.com slash sorry.